All right, Krishna, everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology. Today is Bhakti Wednesday. And because many people have been emailing me asking me if I could um, do something on mantra meditation, and a lot of people don't seem to know that I have a, a video in my archives. Actually, there's tons of videos in my Bhakti archives that you can check out. But one of them that I tend to refer people to several times a week is called Easy Practices of Surrender Mantra Meditation. And in this video, I talk about what mantra meditation is, the value of mantra meditation, and how to get a mantra meditation practice started. So because I've gotten a bunch of emails over the past few weeks asking me to maybe give some basic instructions on mantra meditation, I thought it'd be a good time to rewind and also point you to the Bhakti archives in general. If you like this episode, go check out all the others that are in there because there's a ton of content. And the likelihood is that some of the subjects you might want to hear about have been already covered in a previous episode. So you might find value in digging around into the archives. Uh, you can find them in there's a there's a bhakti playlist that on my youtube channel that you can search through so today i hope that you will enjoy this talk that i did a few years ago on mantra meditation and that you'll consider taking up a mantra meditation practice it is the thing that i do every morning in addition to um, all the different ways that i prep for the content that i create every day 90 minutes of mantra meditation approximately every morning is how i start my day and so i hope it'll be you know a benefit to you there's lots of practices out there so I don't mean to push this on anyone, but since people are asking, and I think mantra meditation is a absolutely beautiful way of, you know, having a daily practice, I hope it might work for some people. All right, that's what I've got. Enjoy the episode. All right, Krishna, everyone. This is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology. In today's video, I'm going to talk about mantra meditation. Now, this is a part of a series that I'm doing called Easy Practices of Surrender. This is the first part of the series. If you've been checking out my bhakti content, then you have probably heard me talk about how bhakti yoga is the art, the practice, the science of loving God. But it all begins with learning how to surrender, learning how to give ourselves back to our source and take part in our union with our source. So I've just sort of lovingly titled this series of bhakti practices, easy practices of surrender. I think that this practice right now is maybe one of the most important practices that people could be doing given what's going on, given that a lot of us are confined and that mantra meditation is oftentimes about opening up um, a lot of freedom and happiness that is right there within that doesn't necessarily um, need to be searched for outside of, you know, of, of ourselves. And when we're all stuck inside, like that could be a really good thing. Um, on the other hand, as you'll see in today's presentation, you know, mantra meditation is the core practice of bhakti yoga. It is in some ways the most basic, foundational, deep practice that we have. Um, and so it, it's um, essential bhakti learning. So I hope that you enjoy this presentation today. All right, so I'm going to put the um, <clears throat> little presentation up on the screen where you can see it. And let's go into full screen mode here so you can really see it big. Um, so mantra meditation, what's it all about? Well, let's begin by uh, talking about the word mantra in Sanskrit. So uh, let's break it down. Man means mind and tra means releasing. So mantra means mind releasing. And of course, one of the famous verses in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, in one of the famous verses of the Gita, Krishna says that 
basically for one who is self-controlled, the mind is the best of friends, but for one who isn't, the mind is the worst of enemies. And a huge part of all forms of meditation is learning to bring the mind under control, um, helping the mind to find its role as a servant of the higher self. We really get into trouble when the mind tries to take over and um, in some ways the false ego takes control and we, we think that I am whatever I'm thinking. Um, I am whatever is going through my mind. And we don't always safeguard what's coming in and out of our mind or our, our, even our speech. So mantra meditation um, is um, a form of, of meditation. It repeats um, sacred syllables or phrases, um, sacred sounds, syllables, or utterances that are said to be, uh, that come directly from the spiritual world, that come from source, that are passed down through the wisdom literature of the uh, yogic tradition, the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Brahma Sutra, the Puranas, and so forth, the Bhagavad Gita, and um, are embodied in the life and teachings of saints and avatars. So mantra is a way of meditating that's a little different from normal meditation where you may sit and try to still or quiet the mind and breathe, take to different breathing techniques and just try to be, sit still or quietly, um, all of which are, are great. Um, mantra meditation is a little bit different in that we are repeating a sacred sound. And that sacred sound is um, thought to basically be like a seed. It is a seed of um, spiritual awakening because the sound, the syllables, um, is, they're not thought to be normal material sounds. They're thought to come directly from the spiritual platform. And as such, when we plant them in our hearts and start repeating them every day, it's like planting a seed of spiritual awakening in the heart. And the daily practice of mantra meditation waters that seed, which in time then awakens the soul um, and its natural relationship with its source. So the um, many bhakti scriptures also describe there being two birds that are sitting on the same branch in the heart. One is the soul, and that's you know our individual essence. And then the other is the super soul, and that is our, our divine source. And so there's kind of two things that we're doing with mantra meditation. We're taking the seed from the spiritual plane that's like a medicine. We're taking it inside because we tend to forget who we really are. And by planting it back inside the heart and then watering it regularly through the repetition of the mantra in practice, we are uh, growing the flower of um, spiritual awakening, in which point we remember, oh, I'm a spirit soul. And oh, yeah, I'm a part of this divine whole. And finding that right relationship with divinity again. So mantra, that's what mantra is doing, you could say, from a kind of metaphysical or philosophical standpoint. Um, that's my best attempt at explaining it anyway. Um, now, Mantra, it also has to do with, in bhakti yoga, has to do with specifically with absorbing the mind, absorbing the body, absorbing all of who we are, all of what we are in the names of God. So when we're repeating mantra, what we're doing is we're repeating the names of God. And by doing this, not only does it help to blossom open and awaken the spirit soul but it also removes unwanted things from the heart so it purifies us as it goes along in other words the process of mantra meditation is not about becoming a better person or getting stuff or anything like that um, it is about awakening the soul and awakening its loving connection its personal relationship with source with god with who we call krishna in bhakti yoga but 
along the way, it acts like a medicine and its byproduct is that it heals us, it blesses us, it grants us so many benefits. Um, because as we grow in spiritual life, we start tapping into uh, our natural state, which is hap truly happy, truly beautiful, truly knowledgeable. And, you know, as that happens, a lot of unwanted things in the heart start falling off. In the Bhagavad Gita, for example, uh, Krishna says this, which is a good thing to remember when doing mantra meditation, that which in the beginning, Krishna says, may be just like poison, but at the end is just like nectar and which awakens one to self-realization is said to be happiness in the mode of goodness. Contrast that with another form of happiness. Krishna says that happiness which is derived from contact of the senses with their objects and which appears like nectar at first but poison at the end is said to be of the nature of passion. So this is a very basic distinction and one of the reasons that we tend to forget who we are. The soul is naturally looking for happiness. And as it's sojourning through the material world, um, uh, the Bhakti philosophy tells us that it tends to try to locate its happiness through the material senses. Well, I'll have, um, you know, I'd like this, or I want that, or this thing will make me happy, or this tasty food, or this, you know, all the different things to satisfy our senses. But the problem is that those things are very fleeting. They feel good at first over a long period of time, not so good for us. Like, for example, eating lots of unhealthy food tastes good, long-term health benefits, not so great. So in the material world, the more we try to locate our happiness in material things, the more sick we get later. Feels good at first, doesn't feel good later. Whereas contrast that to the previous verse. However, when we take two spiritual things, it purifies us, which some ways feels we, makes us more sick in the beginning. It makes us feel worse. This is why, for example, it's not necessarily easy to have a mantra meditation practice because as it's purifying us, it's kind of hard work. But as it goes along, um, in the end, it starts feeling better and better. And it's not related our happiness ultimately to things out there that we need constantly to gratify our senses in really sort of transient fleeting ways. Um, so the mantra that I'm going to teach you today is the mantra that um, we practice in the Krishna Bhakti tradition. Um, of course, there are many names of God in many different places around the world. Um, Krishna is the name of God in, Bhakti, in Krishna Bhakti. Of course, Krishna also has many other names like Govinda, Gopal, so many. Um, and there is also a masculine and a feminine component to, um, uh, to the divine being, to, to God as a, as a personal being. And so we also um, recognize, for example, uh, the uh, goddess, so to speak, called Radha in Krishna Bhakti. And Radha is sort of implicit in the Hare Krishna mantra as well. I'll, and I'll explain that in a moment. So you have both the divine sort of masculine and feminine or sort of yin and yang, if you want to call it that, contained within this mantra as well, which makes it really pretty cool. So here's the mantra. It goes, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I'll repeat it once more. And you could say it with me this time if you'd like. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So what does this mean? Well, Hare refers to the spiritual energy of God. This is sort of the, in some ways you could think of it as the uh, divine feminine. And it's an evocative cry, like a child crying out to its mother or like calling out hallelujah. Krishna is when we pair it together with Krishna, Krishna is the name of God, the all attractive personality of God. 
Krishna basically means that who that one who is more attractive than three hundred million cupids. So it has this feeling of just attracting us, attracting our heart and soul. So Hare and Krishna calling out uh, to Krishna, and then Rama is the supreme being who's the source of both all pleasure and strength. So you think in this world, we're always so fixed on who's more powerful or who's empowered and who's disempowered. And this is not that kind of power. We're talking about the ultimate power combined with the ultimate bliss and happiness. And that's the kind of strength that we all really have within us. It's a kind of strength that is, that's happy and joyful. So Krishna is the all attractive personality. Rama is the supreme being who's the source of pleasure and strength combined. Now, the mantra is chanted congregationally in bhakti yoga, which is called Sankirtan. So you ever heard, see people play harmoniums or um, playing radangas or something like that, and they'll, they'll call out, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And they'll put it to music, and after they chant it, everyone will call back in response. That's called Sankirtan, or Kirtan, sometimes people refer to it as. But it's also chanted personally in private through your own bhajan, through your own song, through your own personal practice, and that's called japa. Japa, because we use, uh, oh, we, we use a mala with beads, you chant your, your japa on, on your beads. Now, again, the mantra, the Hare Krishna mantra is thought to descend from the spiritual world and therefore is not, like if people say it even joking, we say that people get spiritual benefit from it because it is, it, it, it is not a, a material phrase. It's a spiritual phrase. So that's how we see mantra. That's a part of the, the bhakti faith practice, you could say. Um, it's also said to be non-different from Krishna, which means it's the sonic or sound incarnation of, of, of the divine, of God, of Krishna. And so um, it's, it's very powerful mantra. It's been practiced for a very long time. Um, and uh, I can tell you a little bit about what my benefits, like the benefits I've sort of experienced from chanting it for three years now. Um, but I'll also just share a little bit of what my teachers have, have said. And they've been practicing it for, you know, well, one of my teachers for, you know, 50 years, my, my guru. Um, so, uh, and other teachers too. Um, okay, so let's go into some of the scriptures that talk about the benefit of chanting and why chanting is such an amazing thing to, uh, to do for the sake of spiritual growth and progress. On the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is one of the sacred bhakti scriptures, there's a verse in the first canto that goes like this. One can attain salvation simply by chanting the holy name of the Lord. So it says it, that is, it, it, you know, a lot of times people think, you know, uh, you have to, like, you know, attaining enlightenment through yoga is really sophisticated and complicated. And um, actually in bhakti yoga, we say, no, it's, it's actually super simple. In fact, the two rules of Krishna bhakti, bhakti yoga in some ways are just, always remember Krishna and never forget Krishna. And how do you do that most? Um, what is the most effective way of doing that? Chant the names of Krishna, chant the names of God and do it all the time, do it regularly. So that's kind of the gist of, 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 of it according to the Srimad Bhagavatam. Here's another verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam, the 12th canto. My dear King, although Kali Yuga is full of faults, there is still one good quality about this age. It is that simply by chanting, one can become free from material bondage and be promoted to the transcendental kingdom. And again, that's because this is thought of as a spiritual medicine, a spiritual sound incarnation of God that when chanted has this purifying and enlightening effect over time. The hardest part in some ways is just making it a, 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 you know, making it a habit and showing up and doing it with all of your heart. I mean, that part's not easy, but the actual 
the actual, you know, remedy, the actual cure for our spiritual disease in bhakti yoga is very simple. It's just remember God, don't forget God, chant. <laughs> and as, as my guru's guru, Srila Prabhupada would like to say, chant and be happy, the simple Hare Krishna phrase. Anyway, in the Kali Santarana Upanishad, um, it's also said, how shall we overcome the effects of Kali Yuga, the present age of quarrel and hypocrisy? Lord Brahma replied, chanting the holy names of Lord Narayan is the only means of deliverance in the age of Kali. So what's interesting is that in ancient astrology and in um, ancient yoga philosophy, we, the universe is cyclical and it cycles through ages of darkness and light. And this age is thought to be a rather dark age, <clears throat> age of hypocrisy and quarrel. But the benefit of this age is that the, um, the means by which one may uh, attain spiritual life, um, uh, he healing, purity, enlightenment, that one may grow and evolve spiritually and awaken the soul within. Uh, very simple, just chant the names of God. In, in a dark age where everything's jacked, the remedy is really simple. And that's kind of one of the beautiful sides of this particular age. It's as though there's more mercy and a, a simpler and more direct method that's available. And that's the basic philosophy again of, of bhakti. In the Vishnu Purana, it said, whatever is achieved by meditation and satya yuga. And meditation in bhakti yoga is thought to be very, very difficult and austere and intense. And, and for oftentimes we say in bhakti yoga, it doesn't really work for people. People have a really hard time with it. Because in, you know, bringing the mind under control like that, it's really, really hard to do. And the conditions in our world are really, really chaotic. And it makes it very difficult to do. Whereas we say, you know, mantra meditation, the nice thing is that the heart, the emotions, the senses, the body, the voice, everything can get engaged and absorbed in this kind of, uh, you know, in the, in the trance of, of chanting the names of God, which for many people is a lot easier. I know for me it was, that was one of my original attractions to Krishna Bhakti, but I am, I'm saying this not in any way to trash meditation because obviously meditation is, is revered in, in all yoga traditions. Now, whatever is achieved by meditation in Satya Yuga, by the performance of sacrifice in Treta Yuga, and by worship of Lord Krishna's lotus feet in Dwarpa Yuga is obtained in the age of Kali simply by glorifying the names of Lord Keshava, another name for God or Krishna. So the simply by just chanting God's name with love in your heart, uh, we can uh, we can advance spiritually. So that's kind of the plus side of living in a dark moment is that the process is a little simpler. I like to think about it like this. Um, there's so much darkness, you know, around us that, you know, if you've ever lit like a candle in a pitch black room, it, it's almost as though the candle is like 10 times brighter because of how much darkness there is. So simply by calling out from the heart to God in this age, um, it's, it's as though the illumination is that much greater. Um, that's a way that I've come to think about it. So at any rate, let's get into some practical instructions for chanting the Maha Mantra, which I've just gone over with you. And to repeat, the mantra is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. All right, so ideally you will use japa beads uh, or a mala. I have one right here that you can see. Um, I'll hold it up on the big screen in a second. Basically what you're doing is you are uh, holding the beads in your, in your hand, and I'll show you exactly how to do this in a second. And on each bead, you're saying one maha mantra. So each bead, you're going Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Next bead, and do the same thing over. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And this is being done aloud. 
It's not something that you do in your head. It's something that you do aloud. It's very important that we hear the sound of ourselves chanting. I'll get to that in a minute. Now, um, let me hold up the beads and show you what this looks like. Here's a big set of beads. Here's a little set of beads and you'll find everything in between. I like the big set of beads personally, um, but you may like smaller. You can get beads on Amazon. You can get a, a mala or prayer beads on Amazon. I recommend getting a pair of Tulsi beads. Tulsi is very sacred in India. And um, uh, I think just it's just wonderful to hold the actual wood of Tulsi, um, Tulsi plant. Um, you can get a set of Tulsi beads on krishnastore.com if you go to krishnastore.com. Anyway, what you're doing is you're, I like to hold my beads like this. Typically, you have a bead bag, actually, that a lot of people will chant in, and the index finger will come out through a hole so that it's not involved. This is like the ego finger. You, me, I'm the man, you're the man. The, the, ego, the ego index finger, not always the greatest. So we don't chant with the index finger. Typically, you take the thumb and pull it over your outstretched hands like this. So Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare, right? Like that. You don't have to go that fast, but you get it. So you're pulling one beat at a time, one mantra at a time. In fact, I was going way too fast there, so don't take that as a as a uh, cue of how, how fast to chant. Um, as you're pulling, eventually, you're going to get to, you know, sometimes people call it the, the, um, the Krishna bead. And this is sort of the, the bead that, gets, that belongs to God. And we're circumambulating God. Um, and so we don't actually use this bead to chant on. We go all the way around. And when you get to the Krishna bead, turn around and go back the way you came and go around. And when you get to the other side, turn back and go around the way you came. Now, that would mean that you're doing multiple rounds. Not everyone may be ready to do multiple rounds because there's 108 beads per mala which means there's 108 mantras per round. So, you know, for some people, that's going to be too much uh, to go beyond just one round in the beginning. But you want to try to make it through at least one round. Now, if you don't have a, a, a mala, uh, you don't have japa beads, you can use your hand. Here's how you do it with your hand. You take your thumb as your counter, and every mantra you're going to touch to one of the segments of your finger. So I'll go to my pinky first, and I'll touch the lower segment right down there. Turn it so you can see it there. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I move up to the middle section of my finger. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I go to the top part of my finger and do it again. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Then I go to my next finger, my ring finger, and I repeat up each three segments. Then I go to my middle finger and I repeat each three segments. Then I go to my index finger and I repeat up each three segments. That's 12 mantras. And you can alternate hands if you want. <clears throat> so when you're doing this, um, what you're going to uh, notice is that in order to get to 108 mantras, you are going to count the segments of your fingers on one hand or both hands nine times. So nine full times of going through one hand. Um, so when you get to nine full times, you'll have reached 108 mantras. So if you go through each, each segment, 
get done, go back again, do that nine times, you'll have done one full round of 108 mantras. So that's the basic instructions. I think it's really nice to have beads. It's a simple investment. You can buy it. You don't just have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be a million dollars. I mean, I think you can get these on krishnastore.com for probably like five or six bucks. So, and the, the ones on Krishna store are pretty cool because they, they're made from devotees. They're made from people who chant and um, come from India as far as I know. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm, I'm like 99% sure that that's where those are made. Um, so, uh, that's, those are some practical instructions for actually chanting the Maha Mantra. Now, let's get into it um, a little bit more. Try to start by doing 108. That's one round of the Maha Mantra. Um, at least one round at the start of your day when you first rise. That's a simple instruction that my teachers have given to me, and that's something that I do every day. First thing when I get up, I read a chapter of Bhagavad Gita. I read a chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, and then I chant my rounds. Now, people who are actually uh, like aspiring to be um, disciples and kind of devote their lives to bhakti yoga, the minimum that we vow to chant every day um, is 16 rounds, which for most people will take somewhere between, you know, an hour and a half, maybe even two hours. Um, and so the, the commitment will go up in time, you know, if you become more serious about it. Um, so typically, uh, that's, you know, I, I do my 16 rounds every day in the morning right after I wake up. But it didn't start like that for me at all. It started, you know, I started with two rounds and then went up to four. And then um, I went to India and had a long period of time in India that really helped me take that next step to, to the full 16 rounds as a, as a kind of commitment. But um, there's no, it's not a competition. It's not a race to get anywhere. Um, just got to start with the number of rounds per day that makes sense to you. You know, even if it's just one in the morning and maybe one in the evening when you go to bed, maybe one in the morning, sometime in the afternoon and one in the evening. Um, but even just one, even just one round a day um, is a great place to start. You're planting that seed and you're starting to water it. Uh, and if you stick with it, you know, it'll, it'll grow and you'll naturally want to chant more. Um, Another set of practical instructions, sit in a comfortable position. It's not an austere thing. It's not, it's not an austere practice where you're sitting and learning to become like a level 10 ninja of something. So just sit comfortably. It doesn't matter if you're in a chair or if you have your back up against something. You don't have to take any kind of fancy posture. Just sit comfortably, not falling asleep, not lazy, like attentive but comfortable. And some people actually enjoy walking. Like I'll take my dog on a walk. I live in a very peaceful neighborhood for the most part. So, um, you know, as long as there aren't disruptions, traffic, noises, people stopping to talk to you, you can walk a little bit. Sometimes I actually take a picture of Krishna and Radha and I circumambulate it. I, I put it um, in my living room and then I, I walk around it in a circle while chanting. And very slow, slow walking, but mindful walking while you chant is okay. Um, you just want to make sure that you aren't distracted, disrupted, lazy, asleep, you know, in the way that you're positioned or in the way that you're walking. But otherwise, just be comfortable. Don't, don't stress out about it. Um, <clears throat> now, in the beginning, one full round of 108 mantras may take up to 10 minutes. Um, keep a good rhythm. Um, it's said that a decently paced round should take maybe about six to eight minutes. Um, but it's totally normal in the beginning if it's more like 10 or 12 because you're getting used to enunciating the syllables and the words clearly and loudly enough so that you can hear your own voice ringing out. So that's one of the things about mantra meditation that's really important is that this is not a practice that's meant to be done whispering. It's actually harder on your vocal cords if you whisper, and it's not meant to be done in your head. 
So you do need a space where you can chant out loud and you can hear yourself chant because one of the main ways that we get the benefit of mantra meditation is to absorb ourselves in the sound of ourselves chanting so that we're hearing ourselves chanting. It's very, very important. So it's not just like a mechanical thing, right? Um, so those are some practical instructions. Now here's some deeper instructions for chanting. One is to call out from the heart when we chant. Put your emotions into it when you chant, whatever you're feeling. Um, because chanting works best when we become absorbed in hearing as we are chanting with emotional conviction. Um, I don't always have that every day because I, I practice every day. I, some days I don't have it. But when I can remember, just put my heart into it and be present and hear myself chanting, it, it is amazing. And in, when you call out, there's a prayerful way of calling out. We're chanting a mantra, but we can still pray in the way that we chant. We can still, you know, thoughts are coming into our mind, pour those thoughts into the way that we call out to God in, in this mantra. It makes a huge difference. So at any rate, um, this is a simple one that my guru often says, and that my, I've other, other of my teachers have taught me, which is to just ask God, Krishna, source, ask to be helped with our mantra meditation. Literally just be like, can you help me to be more absorbed in this? Can you help me to enter more deeply into the beauty of the mantra? Can you help me develop love and devotion? Can you help me to grow spiritually? Um, if we're feeling dead or tired or you know whatever, we can say, I'm feeling tired, will you help me? I don't like this, I'm sorry, will you help me? Whatever we're feeling, we can put it into the way that we chant. And it's, a, it's that, that kind of honesty and sincerity that no matter what we have to say, if we're putting it into our chanting and we're calling out to God, it has a way of purifying us and starting to open up a channel of communication with our source. And that's, I, you know, that's, I think that's what we want, you know? So, so that in the bhakti, it's a big deal. Like your emotions are not to be gotten rid of. Bhakti is really about developing divine emotions or spiritual emotions, not getting rid of emotions or thoughts or anything like that. It's about cleansing them and, and, dovetailing them back into our relationship with divinity think of chanting also as an offering so every day of our lives we're we're dealing with so much stuff that has to do with us N naturally no need we're not condemning it what's going on with me what's going on with my body what's going on with my spouse or my relationships or my kids or my job or my parents or you know whatever and there's a lot of self-focus and actually Self-focus is maybe the best description of the problem that we're all suffering with from the standpoint of uh, bhakti yoga. So in order to get out of the suffering that we experience and access the happiness and bliss that is inherent in who we are, uh, that is inherent in, in, in the divinity that we're a part of, um, it, it really helps to step outside of ourselves. So we can think of our, our mantra as an offering. That every mantra we chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. This is for you. This is from my heart to you. Not about me, not about what I want, not about you know, my problems. Let me just step outside of that and just give it up to the most amazing, like I exist. You know what I mean? Like how incredible is it that I exist? Thank you. You know, and, and just pouring... Every mantra, just trying to give it up to God as an offering. Now, 
I say this like someone, I say this really enthusiastically. My enthusiasm is not, my enthusiasm now is not matched by my practice, right? Because when I practice, like I really stink at it. You know what I mean? And then there's times where maybe I do hit that note and I, I am really enthusiastic. But every great bhakti teacher I've had the pleasure of learning from so far, what I've noticed about them is they keep saying that same thing, be enthusiastic, Think of this as an offering because when we step out of ourselves and step into the role of serving and loving others, especially God, that's when we really start to get healing. That's when we really start to awaken our natural, uh, the natural part of us that is inherently happy and blissful. So um, thinking of the chanting as an offering is, a, is an easy way to, to take the experience of mantra meditation to the next level. Sometimes you start it and it just feels like you're reciting words that are foreign that you don't know, you know, so this is, these are things that have really helped me. Keep a prayer journal to track realizations and insights. Yes, you're praying, you're offering up, but there's reciprocation that comes in. That super soul that lives on the heart, the second bird that's sitting there with us will start chirping and telling us things. Hey, change this. Hey, here's an insight, you know, like that. Um, we don't want to get stuck on the insights because they can be red herrings that can take us out of the flow of mantra meditation. But it, if you have some nice ones, have a prayer journal and write them down afterward, because we are getting, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, when people surrender themselves to me, I give them the knowledge by which they may come closer to me. So part of the process is that in mantra meditation, we're also starting to receive instructions about how to deepen our mantra meditation or how to deepen our spiritual focus in life. And that will be given to us in all different kinds of areas of our life, little insights or pointers or whatever. So keep, keep track of your realizations. Safeguard them though as well. This is something that my guru taught me that has really stuck with me, which is that we are so inclined to go and share our realizations with others right away when they come. But it's very easy to cast our pearl and, um, and in front of people who may not you know, receive it or who may even taint it or tarnish it in some way. You know what I mean? So keep some of the, the realizations a secret even to yourself because even the ego can start thinking, oh, look at these realizations I got or whatever. So the realizations that are good, try to keep them, you know, the, some of these are gems, treasure them because they are, they're, you know, it's like, an, it's like you're, you're in a marriage or a relationship and there's certain things that make the intimacy so sweet because they're just between the two of you and nobody else. So similarly, between the soul and God, there exists a storehouse of treasure. Be sure to keep safeguard it. While there may also be room here or there to share, um, you know, in places when it's appropriate and people are really receptive. The next instruction that my guru always says is keep the vibration going, which means there's so many things that we can do simply in our day to keep the environment sattvic and clean and keep the vibration of the mantra present. Listening to Kirtan, if you Google search Hare Krishna uh, Kirtan, you'll hear there's tons of great, you know, Krishna Kirtan out there where you can basically hear the Maha Mantra being recited in musical form. You just have that in your environment. The mantra's going and it's watering you. Similarly, you know, just chant throughout the day. Be safeguard what comes into your ears or eyes or your environment because the, the mantra will help you establish a kind of nice wave pattern that keeps you moving along the spiritual path with the spiritual currents that are helping you to evolve. If you don't safeguard that with what's coming in and out and keep the vibration going, then it's sort of like start, stop, start, stop, and, and like that. But the nice thing is that it's hard to keep the vibration going, so the mantra recitation over time will help you and give you the insight again as to how you can do that or the best ways of doing that. Now, 
potential distractions are always going to come up when you're doing maha mantra meditation. Uh, They come in all different shapes and forms. I'm not going to talk about them in this lecture, um, but I wanted to give a talk eventually in a future video on the most basic distractions that we face when chanting and how to overcome them. So you can stay tuned for that because I will be doing something more on that to come. Now, um, because there's all sorts of distractions, there's specific ways that the acharyas or great saintly teachers of the bhakti yoga tradition have talked about overcoming those particular kinds of distractions. So we'll do more about that in the future. Finally, I am not one to speak with any great realization, right, um, about bhakti yoga, but I do have, I feel like I'm enthusiastic enough to be doing this video. It's made that much of a difference in my life. And so I can tell you a few things that I've noticed in my own life and why you might find it practically beneficial what to speak of the spiritual healing that comes uh, over longer periods of time as well. Um, All of my teachers who have been practicing meditation, mantra meditation for decades, basically have said the same thing, which is that um, by devoting ourselves to this practice and to intimately, personally calling out to God through mantra mantra meditation over a long period of time, we develop loving devotion in our very being. We become more loving, more devoted, humble, saintly, serving sages. You know what I mean? And I I know that my teachers would not call themselves that, but I would call them that because that's who they are to me. And they, they, they have, they just, they're just effulgent with their people who you can tell really walk their talk. You can feel integrity in their voices. You know that they care you know that they're willing to admit when they're wrong. You know that they're working on themselves. You know that they're totally devoted to God and that they, they're, they're committed to their spiritual path, to their practices. They're not glamorizing it or trying to sell it or drawing attention to themselves. They're, 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 they're very saintly people, the ones that I've had a chance to meet both here and in India who have been doing it for 40 or 50 years, right? So that, that I trust that very deeply because I see the, the fruits of their practice. Um, the other thing, though, is that even though I've only been chanting three years every day for three years, um, uh, and knock on wood, you know, grace that I'll be able to continue. But um, what I've noticed is that the the better qualities in me as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a teacher, as an astrologer, have grown exponentially since I made chanting a daily part of my life. So, and also because in mantra meditation as I've started opening my heart up and kind of remembering who I am and little, little pieces and just feeling reciprocation from Krishna in the heart from God. um, I've just naturally started to see that I can be the person that I think I am the better version of myself. And a lot of the times in this world, people will preach a gospel that is like, yeah, all of that is unobtainable perfectionism. And, you know, you should just embrace your wildest, craziest, most indulgent self and just, you know, like that. And um, this, to my mind, mantra meditation proves all of that kind of thinking absolutely wrong. Because what it shows us is that you can be the best version of yourself. You can be loving, you can be kind, you can be patient. You can be pure of heart, you can be pure of mind, you can be pure of body, and not in some perfectionist, idolized, you know, I'm so great kind of way, in a humble way. You can feel the best of yourself. You can feel the highest version of yourself. It doesn't happen just because we think nice spiritual thoughts or because we 
go to a yoga class once in a while or something like that, even though these things are nice. In my experience, the best thing about mantra meditation done daily over a long period of time regularly and trying to pour some devotion into it is that we can really start to see that the better parts of ourselves will start to step forward and the blocks in the heart that keep us from that, they fall off. It is a medicine. And I've, I wouldn't be I wouldn't have taken my, my spiritual initiation. I wouldn't be so deeply absorbed in this if it had not acted like a true medicine for my heart and soul. And I say that also as someone who, you know, for 10 years of my life prior to Bhakti Yoga, you know, drank some of the most powerful psychedelic plant medicines on the planet, you know, in South America. And although those medicines in many ways led me to yoga, and I don't consider it a competition at all, and I, I don't mean to denounce ayahuasca in any way, but I will say that mantra meditation every day, nothing in my life is compared, not even the world's most powerful psychedelic plant medicine. Um, it is cleansing in a way that nothing else can be because, you know, every day in order to get the benefits, you just, you have to show up and put your heart into it. And that, that for me has awakened more of the best in me. I've become a better version of myself. So that's my testimony for you in terms of like why you might find it valuable. Um, but I will also say that it is hard work. It is something that we have to pour ourselves into every single day. And as Patanjali says in the Yoga Sutras, any real yoga, real linking, real union between the soul and divinity uh, comes due to regular practice that's consistent, that's devoted, that in earnest, that comes from the heart over a long period of time uninterrupted. So in my opinion, there's no better time also to start mantra meditation than right now. It's an easy practice of surrender. You can take, you know, one round on your beads per day at the start of your day. And if you just water it every day and, and you know, do your best to keep up with it, um, it, you know, in time, it will start growing. And that, that flower of devotion and spiritual awakening does take place. And you notice so many benefits um, to you know, personal benefits as well. So with that in mind, um, why, don't we, why don't we chant a few rounds together to close? So I'm going to give you um, a pace that might work for you for chanting. But, um, you know, find your own pace. Just make sure that you're clearly enunciating the words, that you can really hear yourself, and you get nice and absorbed. Uh, okay, so here's, let's go through three. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So I hope that you will find comfort and joy in mantra meditation. Um, I hope that... Um, you are able to um, reap the rewards of the practice, stick with it, believe in yourself, you can do it. It's a, it's a beautiful practice. Um, I, this is the first in a series that I'm doing on um, you know, easy, easy practices of spiritual surrender. <clears throat> um, so in this series, we're going to talk about some other very basic things that you can do that will also help you to water the plant of devotion in your life. Um, and again, I'll also be making a video talking about some of the common distractions and how to overcome them. Um, stuff 
that I, you know, the same advice that I need every day because I'm working on the same thing, of course. So at any rate, I hope that this was enjoyable. And uh, please tell me your stories about mantra meditation. If you have questions, if you have realizations that maybe you want to share, info at nightlightastrology.com. I'd be happy to hear from you. And, you know, remember, I'm also going to be having some of my teachers and other guests on to talk about the Maha Mantra and mantra meditation in general. So it'll help you to also hear from other people and how they experience mantra meditation. All right, that's what I've got for you. Hare Krishna.